The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, and welcome to Barron's Live, the financial news edition. I'm Paul Clark, Deputy Editor of Financial News. Today, we're talking about gender diversity and how women can break through the glass ceiling in the financial sector. Our session coincides with the release of Financial News' annual 100 Most Influential Women in Finance list, which is now in its 17th year. A question we get asked a lot is why, after decades of financial services organizations focusing on promoting more women into senior roles, we still feel the need to celebrate those who have made it to the top. Yes, the world's biggest banks, fund managers, law firms and hedge funds have indeed been focused on increasing gender diversity for years, but the numbers remain stark. In investment banking, just 10% of senior roles in Europe are held by women, according to Financial News' analysis of 1,300 top jobs in the sector. In asset management, 12% of fund managers globally are women, according to new figures from Industry Group, the Diversity Project, a proportion that has seen almost no improvement over the last three decades. So with that in mind, I'm pleased to welcome Lisa McGow, co-head of global banking coverage at HSBC, Laura Janssens, head of the European Investment Bank at Berenberg, and Hanneke Smits, global head of investment management at BNY Mellon. Welcome, Lisa, Laura, and Hanneke. So I wanted to start just by asking you about some pivotal moments in your own career that helped you move up the ranks. Um, so Lisa, if I could start by by asking you whether there are any sort of key moments, you know, perhaps early on in your career or, or maybe in the middle point that, that kind of contributed to you getting to where you are now. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. And thanks for including me with Laura and Henneke. It's an honor to be here. Um, a few pivotal moments that um, resonated with me. One, maybe a bit negative, um, asking for the promotion, applying for the promotion and not getting it and understanding I had trusted the system. And um, unfortunately, there was a, a different game being played where um, I didn't have necessarily the network. Um, I didn't necessarily have sort of that board of directors. And I was, um, I was simply applying and, um, and, and hoping that my track record uh, would get me to the, next, to the next level. I think also, you know, you have to have, the environment has to be perfect. You have to have the right manager. You have to have the right opportunity at the right time. But um, in certain organizations, um, one might feel like you've hit a wall and you may not be able to sort of break your way through that frozen middle. Um, I was very fortunate um, in uh, years later to have a fantastic boss who actually um, put me into some very difficult, challenging roles that were transformational um, to me and the organization. Um, and these were hard things, which I know that Laura and Hanukkah have also done too. Um, and, you know, just taking on bigger um, transformation projects and proving myself through there. So I think, um, I think, you know, struggling through sometimes the early days of head down, do the work and move forward um, isn't always um, the key to success, that it's 
understanding um, how the game is played. I like to say, be the CEO of your own career um, and, and take charge, have a strategic plan. Um, make sure your career has the right board of directors, the group of people who could advocate for you. And then there are times when you need to move on and look for new opportunities. Um, I know I had three, three young children working long hours in New York, long commutes, um, but my husband stayed home and I was, I was told, you know, you need to get home to your children. Um, so I think it's when times like that, it's a trigger that, okay, I'm going to need to make a move here because um, I'm not going to be able to move up in the current, in the current seat. So hopefully that was, um, that was a helpful start. That's great. Thank you, Nisa. And Annika, um, I mean, were there any particular moments in your career that you feel helped you move up the rank or, or indeed you know, moments where you felt um, perhaps that your career was being held back to some extent? Uh, so, so hi, Paul, and uh, also delighted to be here um, uh, to talk about some of this. So if I think back about my career, uh, which goes back to sort of the early 90s, um, I have, um, I'm more on the positive side of things. I've really benefited from strong female and male, uh, both strong female and male role models and mentors and sponsors, all of them, and really starting with my family as well. Very supportive parents, grew up in a in a household where both of my parents, in particular my father, didn't really differentiate between uh, his views, uh, between uh, his views with respect to my sister and my brother and I, the degree to which we, in his view, he thought we should be able to stand on our own feet. So first of all, education was everything, and then making sure that um, you, you were well supported in embarking on a career was very important to him. Now, he was a businessman, um, and he did end up working in finance and private equity as well. And as I've um, had my own career uh, in investment management, predominantly including in private markets, that was certainly in the early part of my career definitely someone I relied upon when I came to Forks in the Road. I've really worked for three organizations um, over, since the early 90s at the start of my career for Pantheon. Uh, where I started when I was still relatively small, um, hired by a female manager. Um, I like to think that that was con a conscious decision on my part. Uh, perhaps looking back, there was some un unconscious positive bias because as the saying is, you need to see her to be her. And clearly mm -hmm. seeing uh, in that environment in 1992, someone who was already a managing director uh, in uh, in an entrepreneurial environment in private markets where there were really even fewer women then uh, than there are today at having a seat at the table uh, was uh, was attractive and I learned an enormous amount from her as well as from uh, the men in that organization. Then I had the opportunity in 97 to move to a different organization where I ended up for uh, 17 years of my career and had uh, a bunch of different opportunities, setting up uh, the European and Asian portfolios and ultimately becoming Chief Investment Officer. Again, it was a very um, supportive environment. Uh, the initial hiring manager was also female, and there was a very supportive uh, tone from the top. So perhaps there is a little bit of a, uh, of a theme here in terms of the types of organizations I am that are joining. 
But in 2014, I, another pivotal moment came for me when I decided to take a career break because I had been with that one organization for 17 years. Uh, I had been given fantastic opportunities, uh, was the chief investment officer, uh, but I did feel that um, my life was getting a bit out of balance. I also had three children who were younger. Uh, than they are today, a very supportive husband, uh, but I felt that it was time for me to figure out what I wanted to to do next. So I took a year off, and again, taking that decision was not easy, but I did have a good infrastructure um, around me to help me make that decision. Uh, And in terms of taking the jump, which in itself is not easy, positively decide that you sort of want to move on to to a next chapter. And then coming here into Newton and subsequently into this role at BNY Mellon, a big draw here was the support of Newton and BNY Mellon had always given to diversity and how they prioritized it. And Newton and BNY Mellon were founders of the 30% Club. Um, Helena Morrissey was CEO of Newton at the time, and I succeeded her in that role. But clearly, an organization uh, for whom diversity is very important in terms of its core values and how it's managing the business. So, when you take that all together, um, I like how Lisa just described it in terms of board of directors. I, I do think I've really benefited from having. You know, having chosen to be in organizations uh, for whom diversity is sought and the diversity in driving investment performance is key. But I've also always really built out and lent on uh, senior people in the industry, male and female, that gave me advice at points in time that I needed it. Thank, thank you, Hanukkah, for that very thorough answer. And, and, and Laura, just the welcome and just the same question for you as well really I mean anything that you know you think was pivotal in your career thanks Paul and thanks so much for having me um it's honestly hard to think of just one you know I I look back on my career as being the result of a lot of determination yes but also quite a few bits of of luck along the way um I was actually reflecting on my my first interview in the city um I was 22 um, I was very qualified. I'd got a great degree. I'd actually worked at BT for almost a year by then. They'd sponsored me through school and university. Um, my first interview was with a very senior male analyst. And I think about 15 minutes in, he was obviously bored. He just cut it short and said, you know what, to be honest, I'm not sure you're cut out for this. Um, and that was the end of that. Um, luckily for me, my second interview in the city, um, it was at Merrill Lynch. It was with a wonderful man called Chris McFadden, who even in 1999, um, was absolutely determined that his team was going to be half female. So that was a really great moment for me. It was my my opportunity to get into the city. Um, I think the other moment for me is probably, um, you know, after I had my children, um, sort of 2010, 2011, I had two children in quite a short space of time. And to be honest, I, I found it incredibly challenging. You know, there, there weren't many other women who were mothers at the bulge bracket where I worked at that time. Um, I still remember a very fractious performance review with my boss where he was marking me down as an underperformer for having done less meetings than my peer group and just couldn't accept that when I'd been out for maternity for six months, it probably wasn't fair to just mark me like for like. You know, that would have stayed on my HR record forever. But again, in a piece of 
staggering luck. Um, that was the same day Berenberg, which was a very small business, phoned me um, and asked me to go across and join. So, yeah, lots of moments. I think, you know, asking a question like that to, to three women like us that have made it through, I think you always maybe get a slightly biased answer. Um, we've all hopefully been quite lucky. Um, I think you'd probably get a very different answer if you ask some of the, the wonderful women that I worked with 15, 20 years ago that, that aren't in the city anymore. Great, thanks, Lisa, uh, Laura. And um, just to remind listeners that um, you can submit a question to our panel through the Q and A um, if you have any questions. Um, just switching to the sector at large, and this is obviously a fairly broad question. Um, and if I can direct it to, to you, Hanukkah, to begin with, what what do you think are the barriers for for women moving up in the financial sector still? Well, first of all, it's uh, what I was alluding to earlier on, that there aren't enough visible women in the workplace, and more specifically uh, in financial services. And then even more so, there's not enough females in leadership roles, such as myself. I don't see a lot of uh, people, uh, females running uh, significant uh, divisions. We don't see a lot of CEOs. We don't see a lot of CFOs. And so a lot of it is also about when I speak to younger women, they look to who they can be and they look to uh, whether the role models are in positions that they want to be in. So women need to, as I said earlier, to see her, to be her. And then, by the way, that's true for uh, people from other underrepresented groups as well. I also think mm -hmm. that there's an, sort of an almost an unrealistic set of expectations placed upon women and that sometimes women may place upon themselves, right? I keep, and forgive me, uh, financial news, uh, you had a headline last week as well around um, how senior women make uh, make our careers work with au pairs, housekeepers, and I think house husbands. Um, and I've had um, some, <laughs> some uh, I, have, I have actually leveraged all three of those. Um, but there is a yeah. continuous fascination with that, and there isn't sort of a list of um, white white men who are getting asked the same questions. Every time I'm on a panel, I'm being asked the question, well, how do you do it all? How do you have a family and you have a career? And in a way, my answer is, I think, very similar to, um, to that of the two men on the panel who are who probably also have a very good infrastructure around them. It's also about choices you make, I think, as a family um, or for yourself indeed, because there are also, of course, plenty of women who, um, who are not in a relationship or perhaps don't, uh, don't have children. But I do think women are sometimes hard on themselves, this sort of notion of having it all. Um, it's trade-offs for everyone and you have to define uh, what what it means uh, in terms of being able to have a fulfilling career and how much time you can you can give to your family. The work life balance, I think, is just as hard for women as it is for men. So I think if we can just be realistic about that and encourage all staff when it comes to flexible working to actually embrace flexibility in the workplace. We as an organisation at the NY Mellon are embracing the hybrid model. We have good parental leave policies, and I'm really pleased to see more men in our organization taking parental leave as well, and I think that needs to be more celebrated because it's gonna help 
the women. Just want to pause here um, uh, and, and, and see if Lisa or Laura want to come in, Paul. Hi, Hanukkah. I think what really resonated for, um, thank you, I'm sorry, there's a little bit of a delay. Um, you cannot be what you cannot see. I think that is so, so important. And, you know, we can have the determination that Laura talked about, but if you see no one down the road um, and you're working as hard as you can, but you don't have female role models um, ahead, of the, uh, ahead of you, I think that's, that's a, a very challenging. I would say, just to add to some of the comments Hanukkah made was around the frozen middle um, and these microaggressions that we tend to face. Um, women are two times more likely than men to be mistaken for someone more junior. Um, you know, I've been asked to, you know, when I was younger, asked to make tea. Um, you know, 37% of women leaders have had a coworker get credit for their idea. Um, you know, it is, it is also, you know, um, sort of, I've been on promotion panels, not at my current company where they said, well, he really looks like an MD. And then I said, well, what does an MD look like? Um, you know, um, that, those kind of comments are, are not helpful. So I think that, you know, sometimes having your judgment questions um, implied you're not qualified in the younger years. And then as Hanukkah and Laura and I are usually the only one in the room um, and it gets, it gets to be very difficult. Um, I think I do find it in <clears throat> promotion panels where, you know, when we're talking about one person and um, no one around the table knows that female, but everyone knows the male who's up for the same promotion or raise or chance to get ahead. So I think it's this, this frozen middle we need to kind of work our way through. Um, but it, it's also the determination, the inner confidence, um, the role models ahead of us. And there's so many things that our organizations can do. Um, I was also very encouraged by some of our corporate clients are asking for diverse teams and pitches or don't come pitch, <laughs> which I thought was, was um, fantastic. So I think we all just need to work together both within and outside of our organizations to remove some of these, some of these barriers and some of these microaggressions. Hi, it's sure. Laura. Um, I must admit, I get a bit frustrated when when we blame the lack of progress on women on a lack of senior women role models because it doesn't really then reflect on why there's a lack of senior women role models. Um, and I think personally that to to understand why there are so few of us, if we want real cultural change, then we have to have some really difficult conversations about how we got to this position in the first place. Um, I do agree that whether we like it or not, it's human nature. People naturally bond with other people that remind them of themselves. Um, I know that I do. I'm sure that's probably a factor in when why men, um, you know, over time are, are likely to promote more men. Um, it doesn't mean that I think all men are blocking the progress of women, but if you accept that a, a path to a job like um, the ones that we all have is a combination of determination and lots of little bits of luck. Um, you only really need one bad boss in 25 years to completely derail your career. And I think, you know, we need to rely on on men a little bit as well to to call out their behaviour when they see it. Otherwise, we'll be waiting a long time for the the senior women to come along that inspire the next generation. And uh, Mina, a lot, a lot of you. Sort of sorry, if I can come into that. Sure. Sorry, 
Can I just come in for for a moment? I think you, you, Laurie, you just said something very, very important here. We absolutely need to uh, need to support from the men and collaborate with them. I uh, founded, co-founded an organization called Level 20 in 2015 when I was on my career break, really with the goal to get more uh, women in senior roles in private equity, where at the time we saw, I mean, the percentages there were even lower, Paul, than the percentages you, you were sharing earlier. I think it was around 5 6%, which then, of course, meant that 95% of senior roles were held by men who were all on those promotion panels. Uh, that, that, that Lisa was just discussing. And so to me, when we founded Level 20 and also with 30% Club as well, which I, which I now chair, a critical success factor and a critical component was actually to engage with the leaders in organizations who were predominantly men and to get them to join these organizations to help us address uh, this very topic because they do sit on the promotion panels. 90% of them are responsible for budgets and hiring, firing, retention, etc. So, so we need to join join hands. And on the whole, uh, most have joined hands with us, which is what I actually think has changed so significantly since we started out. And I mean that that. Perhaps leads me on to the next question as to you know whether the industry really has changed since you started out. I mean, you know, you talk about starting out thirty, you know, twenty five, thirty years ago, and you know, looking back as a sort of an, another era, really, of of you know, where behaviour was unacceptable, uh, you know, behaviour that was acceptable then perhaps isn't now. Um, but do, do you really see a shift in the financial sector? I mean, how does it need to continue to to evolve? Um, Maybe start with you, Laura, on that one. Yeah, sure. I mean, I I think um, you know, inclusion is definitely on the agenda in a way that it just wasn't 25 years ago when I started out. Um, doesn't mean there aren't still barriers to women, but they're they're probably a little bit less overt than they were 25 years ago. Um, I guess that can also be a challenge. Look, I still walk into meetings very regularly with male colleagues and have the person across the table assume that I'm the junior. Um, I actually like to make tea in meetings just to make everybody feel uncomfortable when they realize their mistake. Um, but equally, I think as Lisa said, I now walk into meetings where the clients across the table will comment on how nice it is to have a, a more balanced team. And I genuinely think we've won business because of that. So. I think things are improving. Um, you know, sexism to the extent that it exists is, is less definitely less overt. Um, but we can see in the outcomes that it hasn't completely gone away. Thanks, Laura. Any, any thoughts on yeah. that, Lisa? I, yes, um, Paul, I'll, I'll um, add to Laura's comments because I thought they were really, really good. I think, you know, when I started 30 plus years ago, it was um, <clears throat> people would actually say things to you like girls can't trade. And you were actually <laughs> told what jobs you could do and what jobs you couldn't do as a woman. I think we've made a lot of progress um, from the top down. Excuse me, I have a cough. Um, I think it's things like succession plans, making sure diverse teams, um, you know, everybody knows and understands that diverse teams outperform. I think it's also things like making sure 
We have diverse panels um, for candidates um, and that, you know, we're not the only one uh, people in the room. <clears throat> but I think that, you know, having to work twice as hard is not great. Having women do a lot of, you know, sort of important extracurriculars like, <clears throat> you know, substantial time on DE&I work, which is important, right? But it can't just be us, to Hanukkah's point. We have to include the men. So I think that's, that's critical. Um, any thoughts on that at all, Hanukkah? Well, what I would say what, what has changed the most, which Laura and Lisa both sort of alluded to, is that we're actually having the conversation. And if we were not having these uh, conversations in boardrooms and even in middle management when, you know, I also started my career over 30 years ago. These were not conversations we were having. And if my younger self would have projected this, I would, to be honest, I would have been surprised that we were having these conversations now, that it sort of been the only disappointment that taken so long for us to have these uh, conversations, but we are having them. And looking at my own organization and looking at others as well through the lens of the 30% club, a lot of companies now have targets, not necessarily quotas, but targets, like, you know, in the same way that you have your business targets, there are targets when it comes to the diverse slate, the diverse panels, how you recruit, how you promote, how you think about this. And there's a lot more, um, willingness actually and openness to discuss it, to discuss this and also where we're falling short uh, on an organizational level. There's a lot more uh, training on um, on the part of organizations in terms of training middle management to focus on this. I know we do, I know other organizations do, but it is, it is something that we, as a topic, I think we need to keep front and center because as Laura said earlier, we still haven't made the progress that I think we need to make. We've made progress, but there's still not enough women in senior roles, and there's a lot more to be done because at the current pace of change, it, I, I think depending on which statistics you believe, it could take another century before we're at parity, and that would be depressing. Thank you. And just slightly conscious of time, I just wanted to turn to some of the live questions that we've had. Um, the, these two are are related, so I'll just read them out uh, uh, both at the same time, just to 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 get them out there. Um, Angela asks, "What do Lisa, Laura, and Hanukkah think of the work from home movement being female executives?" Related to that, David says, "The UK's Treasury Committee is conducting an inquiry into sexism in, sexism in the city." Yesterday, it was remarked that hybrid working has allowed more working mothers to work more flexibly than before, but some companies, particularly US banks, are rolling back on that. What do the panelists think of companies requiring individuals to be back in the office four or five days a week if they are at a certain pay grade? Will that prevent women from wanting to progress? Um, and uh, Lisa, I think HSBC has a three-day-a-week policy, so perhaps you maybe want to comment on that? Yeah, yeah, and I think, um, <clears throat> look, workplace flexibility um, for some employees is, you know, becoming a crucial benefit. But I think, I think it's important to not just say that women who will benefit, but but all will benefit. Um, and so I think I think that's important. So some flexibility is is critical. Um, I think that uh, the other the other point is, 
you know, we need to make sure that we balance this with visibility, with training, with live, um, you know, networking. Um, and I think that, you know, yes, we all want better work-life balance as a primary benefit of hybrid and remote working um, and, you know, less fatigue and burnout, um, avoiding the commute, et cetera. But um, I think it's just making sure also that we keep the right conduct, culture, collaboration, communication, which might be a little more difficult um, in a Zoom environment. Um, and also, I think sometimes, you know, there is an element of safety in remote working where, you know, sort of some of the psychological safety or the microaggressions um, can be a little bit um, more easily avoided. However, I think to balance that again with, you know, Zoom, where you're not able to communicate your point as effectively because it's, it's your, your little tile on a, on a big screen. So I think, um, <clears throat> I think it's important to hit that balance. I think it's important for all managers to decide within their organizations which roles. Obviously, this doesn't make sense for sales and trading. Um, it might make sense mm -hmm. for um, bankers who are out um, you know, uh, seeing clients and so forth and so on. But I think, um, I think it's important to, to balance both of those. And I think, you know, making sure you're in the know of what's going on, receiving the mentorship and the sponsorship that's needed. Sometimes that might be a little bit and have accomplishments noticed and rewarded might be a little bit more difficult in a remote environment. So I think it's for the manager and for the, for the uh, team member to, to decide. Thanks. Um, and just we, we have Laura uh, and Hanneke want to add. I'm, I'm happy to give it a go because I think our, our view on this is, is probably a bit controversial. I mean, we are a sales trader research banking organization and bluntly working from home just doesn't really work for a lot of the functions within Berenberg. Um, so it's used in a, in a very limited way. Um, I also don't necessarily agree with the idea that working from home is a kind of feminist issue. I think that's probably based on some pretty old fashioned assumptions. Um, the way that we've addressed this to make sure that employees have flexibility and they're able to spend time with their family and that that's all done in a very fair, transparent way that doesn't penalize you know, any groups versus others is to give extremely generous holidays. So we have 35 days holidays at Berenberg, but we expect our people to be in five days a week. I think it's unfortunately the nature of the job and trying to do it any less than that, um, I don't think would lead to the kind of progress that we need. And if I can just add to that very briefly, for us, the focus has been around, similar to Laura, really around gender agnostic, family friendly policies. We're encouraging employees, to, we're also in the three to um, work environment, three days, uh, a minimum of three days in office. You can come in the office for more days, but we want our colleagues to be in the office to collaborate. Uh, three days a week, but we're also embracing flexibility and we're encouraging everyone uh, to embrace that flexibility irrespective of gender. And I think that's a very important conversation that needs to continue in the work environment. Thanks, Annika. Um, we, we do have a number of other questions from the audience, but unfortunately we've run out of time. So 
Um, Lisa, Laura and Hanukkah, thank you so much for joining us today. And thanks so much to everyone for tuning in. Um, please join us again tomorrow when my colleagues from Investors Business Daily, Elisa Coram and Steve Shreve, share how to interpret signals from the major indexes and leading stocks to ensure that traders are following the market trend rather than letting the headlines dictate their trades. Thank you. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.